Sido, how are you you doing? Good. Well, it's good to be here. Um, My name is Gabriel. I'm a music director here at City Light. Andrew, thank you for letting me come and preach, which isn't something I get to do often, but something I've wanted to do, and here I am doing it. Um, So, here we are. Thanks for letting me be here. Josh, thanks for leading so faithfully. Um, Yeah, like that song says, we are alive in Christ. What good news. So, a little about me. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Ashley, who is much smarter than I am. Yeah. She recently completed her master's program at the University of Cambridge. Now, not the community college in Cambridge, Massachusetts, like the old one with ivy on it in England. You know what I'm talking about? You know, Cambridge, Oxford, they're kind of like, they're big deals. But enough about her. She's really smart. But I, I love running, and I love riding my bike almost everywhere. Um, I've been running and riding for quite a bit. Um, I've been at City Light from its inception. So I consider this, and many of you, although I haven't met like a ton of you, I consider you guys my spiritual family, my immediate spiritual family. So working at City Light, you might think that all our conversations are theological in nature. That if you were to come in during the workday, you might see like everyone with their Bibles open. Maybe Josh playing like a song in the corner, like a worship song. And the lights like always set to dim, like you can hardly see like where you're going. But let me assure you, that's not the case at all. And often we talk about very random things in our free time. A few weeks ago, I was talking to Clay about how to get stronger as a runner. Right? I want to be able to run further, get hurt less, run faster. And um, I maybe started running like a year and a half ago. I had the opportunity to run the 2016 London Marathon. And then last fall, I ran my first ultra marathon at Lake Cunningham. Right? So that's me, a runner. And Clay, as most of you know, is like a perfectly formed human being with like large biceps. Like he's got like divine inspiration in him. Like the Holy Spirit empowers him. And he's dedicated his whole life to lifting heavy objects up and down in various ways. So that's us, me, the runner, and Clay, the weightlifter. And here's a snippet of our conversation. I said, Clay, what exercises can I do to get like stronger as a runner? Like, I want to go faster, I want to go further, I want to get hurt less. And Clay, stone-faced, with his biceps kind of like this, you know, he says, stop. And I'm like, perplexed, I'm like, Clay, like, what do you mean stop? I thought running was supposed to be like super healthy for you, right? You get your blood going, you lose some weight. You know, what do you mean stop? And Clay, still as stone-faced as ever, he's like, running is terrible for you. <laughs> and I said, I said, huh. And immediately made my way to the staff kitchen to fill this gaping hole of crushed dreams with the nearest sugary substance I could find. (laughs) So tonight, I want to show you and Clay that running is indeed biblical. Okay? Sorry, that's really cheesy. I know. But we are all running. Think about it. We all are. In London, I saw many people running after many things. Some people sought fame. Some people sought wealth. Some people sought meaning. Some people sought relief from the busy city life. And here in Omaha, we are just as prone to run after things that will inevitably waste our life. For you, it might be um, just to finish your degree and to get a good job afterwards. Or maybe it's a guy or a girl. Maybe it's approval from friends. There are many ways you can run, but there is only one way you can run in which you will find true meaning and satisfaction. What's at stake tonight is your entire life. So I want us to have an honest inventory check of the race we are running? Does it have meaning? Is it a good one? Is there purpose in it? 
running the proverbial race in this life means three things. Looking to Jesus, running with endurance, and setting your face toward Zion. Looking to Jesus, running with endurance, and facing Zion. So, point one, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Let's read this. Let me read this for us. It goes like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we see a picture of the noble race, right? So last week, Andrew um, just walked us through the Hall of Faith, all these really important biblical figures. And just when you think that like applause is necessary, the author of Hebrews says, Run, lay aside, set off sin, look to Jesus. Why is he doing that? Why can't we just sit and rest in what is already done? I thought the gospel was about believing deeper, not trying harder. Well, let me assure you that it is. Like, that is very true. But the author is calling us to lay aside everything so that we can run hard after Jesus. Whatever is calling our attention away from him needs to be reprioritized or let go of. And he gives Jesus as an example of this. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus has established our faith. He ran the perfect race to death on a cross and resurrection from the grave to buy our freedom from sin and to set right our relationship with our Creator. And now he is calling us in that exact same race. Not to run out of human strength, but out of the strength of the Holy Spirit. And contrary to the races of the world, the race of the Christian looks like this. The starting line is the finish line. The race of the Christian, in the race of the Christian, the starting line is the finish line. Right, So we don't have to achieve more favor in the eyes of God because Jesus has already done that. So we praise him, we look to him, we fix our eyes on him. This is what the author is saying. It's not about the people who are running with you. It's not about the people who have run before you as important as they are. It's about the starting line and the finish line, both of which are God himself. Last fall, I made the stupid decision to run 31 miles around Lake Cunningham. And I know what you're thinking, like, yeah, that is stupid. And, like, how is that possible? Isn't that lake, like, only this big? And you're right on both accounts. It was stupid. And that lake is only, like, this big. But we did it anyway. I think we have a picture of it. Um, This is the starting line of Lake Cunningham. Look at that. It's so cool. Not really. But we showed up at O'Dark 100 at Lake Cunningham. And I was in these, like, tiny shorts. It was freezing balls. My poor wife, like, had to wake up early to drop me off, you know. So we had to make, like, the McDonald's run before and all that. And as the runners lined up, I recognized prominent figures in the running world. I don't know if you can see this, but this lady in front here in the green, 633, her name's Casey. And she's amazing. And there's me. I don't know if you can see my head like poking over. I I was just freaked out and in awe of this runner, right? So she, um, earlier that year, had won the Western States Ultramarathon in California, which if you don't know anything about ultramarathons, she basically ran 100 miles in 17 hours, right? So she's just like 
amazing. She won the women's division. And here I was, a nobody who had started running a year ago because I was bored, right? So that's the race we were running. But still, as the sun rose, they fired this gun, and there was this magical moment of chaos where everyone was trying to find their place in this race. We were all going hard. We were all just trying to make it back to the finish line so that we could start again. You see, the finish line was the starting line. The starting line was the finish line. And during that day, I had to shed many things. The hoodie I was wearing, it had to go. The sun came up. It was too hot. The water bottle I was carrying, it got too heavy. I had to let it go. (laughs) The music I was listening to, trying to keep pace, eventually that had to go. Lap after lap, my sole focus was on the finish line just so I could start again. The starting line was the finish line. And the race of the Christian is just like this. We all have to shed excess weight and sin in our life to go hard after Jesus. And Jesus is the starting point of our faith, but he is also the finishing point. There is nothing beyond Christ and his work for us. So my question for you is what is keeping you from keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus? This is kind of twofold, right? So what sin is keeping you from seeing Jesus? And what God-given good thing is keeping you from seeing Jesus? Sometimes the very best things in life are the things that distract us from looking on the glory of God. In my life, I've struggled to believe that Jesus is enough. I get so caught up in what people think of me, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, who my friends are, who my friends aren't, that I miss my Savior. My eyes shift from looking to Christ. Even just this last week, Lil Chano from 79th, a.k.a. Chance the Rapper, tweeted this. He said... Do you guys know who Chance the Rapper is? He won a Grammy. Yeah, okay, good. It's okay to listen to music that doesn't explicitly talk about Jesus, guys. It's okay. The world will go on. He said this, I'm looking for an intern, someone with experience putting together slide decks and writing proposals. And I sat there late at night, and I was like, I know how to put together slide decks. Like, look at this slide deck. I put this one together. I, I know how to write, like, I've, I've written before, and if, you know, if worse comes to worse, there's internet programs that can, like, fix all my grammatical errors. Maybe this is my calling. Like, maybe all of life's cataclysmic events have led to this moment in history. And maybe there is a destiny, and this is mine. I was halfway through writing my intern application when I, when I stopped and asked myself the question, what am I doing? Like, was I really ready to pick up and move to Chicago? What am I doing? First of all, I already have a rapper I can intern for. His name's Jeremy Morton. You might have seen him on the keyboard. Yeah. Secondly, like, like why? Like, what on God's green earth could I possibly gain or do for a rapper? Like, as much as I love hip-hop, I just don't know if that's, like, my destiny, as I said. This is really how easy it is to set your eyes on something else and to miss what is right in front of you. So lately, I have, um, I've had to be shedding the weight of social media, not because it's wrong or evil or I think Big Brother is going to neural tap my brainstem, but because it keeps me from focusing on Christ. 
Looking to Jesus means remembering daily his work for us. Let us not get caught up in thinking that we could ever run our way to God. No, no, no. Instead, we run with our eyes fixed on Christ because of what he has already achieved for us. Jesus is our starting line and he is our finish line. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews says. So point one, let us run with endurance with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Point two, running with endurance. Like, How do we do this? What does it look like to run with endurance? Let's look at Hebrews 3 through 6. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Here we see a major shift from running to discipline. The author is saying that these two things go hand in hand. If we are a Christian, the Lord is going to lead our heart. We're not alone in this, though. Remember, Jesus is our founder. And we are already in right relationship with Christ. The way I see it, there are three ways that we're a part of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. The first one, as the old hymn says, is it was our sin that held him there, right? So we're a part of the crucifixion in the fact that Jesus had to die for our sin. The second one, and the one that everyone loves, and it's, I mean, it's good news, right? Is that we're made alive in Christ, right? I think of the song, the resurrecting king is resurrecting me, right? So we participate in the resurrection of Jesus through his work in us. But the third one, and the one that nobody really likes to talk about, is this, if we believe in Jesus, we now get to experience the pain of crucifying our sin for the glory of God. We're forgiven through the cross to put to death all sin in our life. Look at Hebrews 7 uh, 7 through 10. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there in whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated... You are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us for um, a little while and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God is going to lead our hearts. Unfortunately, our hearts long after many things other than God. But God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who not only tells us what to do, but what not to do. And as we come up against the rails of the things we should and shouldn't do, he's going to tell us. He's going to speak into our lives through the word of God, through prayer with God, time spent with him. And for some of us, this, um, I guess this picture of God as our father is a bit hard, right? Some of us have not had the best experience with our earthly fathers. And maybe some of you had had downright terrible experiences with yours. But please, believe me when I say that our father in heaven is good and his plan is good. He authored our life. He knows our truest desires. He will correct us, but it's out of love, out of true love. 
Not out of drunkenness, not out of manipulation, but out of true love for his children. This will be painful, but not, not because our Father desires to hurt us, but because our lives have been grafted with sin. They've been steeped in sin, and trying to ungraft sin is a painful, painful thing. And Hebrews acknowledges that. Look at 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Not all pain is the work of Satan. Not all pain is the work of Satan. Here we see that God, in correcting our weary stride, causes pain, but it's for good, not groaning. Satan would have you believe that any pain you experience is not of God. But how contrary is this verse? God desires good and longs to set the world right, to put an end to suffering. But in doing so, things have to be shifted. Bones have to be set. Tumors have to be lanced. And sin has to be removed. How hard is it to be open and humble, even when someone has their best interest in mind for you? Right? It's easy to say, love me, and if you don't love all the parts about me, to hell with you. It's much harder to say, love me and help me change. It's much harder to say that. In 2008, I was in Beijing, China with a guy named Jared Cleaver, who some of you guys might know. Yes, the big, red-headed, Swedish, strong-rooted Mennonite man. And it was my first time in like an international big city, right? Like I'd been to LA, I'd been to Kansas City, which is actually kind of a small city. Um, but that was the first time I'd seen like a foreign city of that magnitude. And it was beautiful. There was like smog everywhere and like the traffic was horrible. I was like, yes, this is what it's like to be in a big city. But as, as I was walking around and meeting new friends, I came across this idiom and I didn't know what it meant. It was so bizarre to me. It goes like this, love me, love my duck. This is what they said. Like, this is like one of their, you know, their idioms that they have. Love me, love my duck. I said, what does that mean? I asked my new Chinese friends, like, what does that mean? I don't get it. Does everyone have ducks around here? Like, what does this mean? And what they told me was this. If someone really loves you, they will love all the parts about you. They will love everything about you, your flaws and your imperfections. And as noble as this sounds, I couldn't reconcile that in my heart. I couldn't reconcile true love with being a love that will let you go on doing what you're doing without caring of the consequences to your soul. I was so perplexed by this. Is it true that true love must accept everything about a person as they are and not desire anything new or good or different for them? Like, is it enough to say, I love you and will let you continue on, even if there is something better for you? The picture here in Hebrews is much different. The God of love cares for us despite our flaws, but beyond that, he speaks into our problems with a firm, loving voice. God loves us, but he does not have to love our ducks. God loves us, and he might even want to remove some of our ducks. But it's out of love that he does this. Do you, do you trust him to love you as he shapes and molds you? Friends, Jesus is calling us to lay aside every way and sin that clings so closely. Do you trust him to set your broken bones right? Do you trust him to love you as he shapes and molds you? For me, weekly, I have to ask God to correct my sin tendencies. This week, I had to ask him to forgive me for hurting a friend with my words. 
I've been a Christian for like 10 years or so. And still the Lord is teaching me endurance and discipline. You never grow out of this. This is, this is where you're at until Jesus comes back. In 2015, my wife and I uh, moved to Cambridge, England. Everything was set to go. I had landed a job at the Apple Store in Cambridge. It was perfect. Like, oh, let's just execute this plan. But as we were applying for visas, you know those things that let you um, stay in countries for more than like a couple weeks. Some of you guys are going through that right now with like the Cambodia trip and the Thailand trip. Hers was accepted and mine was rejected. It was like 4 a.m. I called Apple on the phone. I was like, is there any way that you can like sponsor a visa for me? Like, I need to be there. Like, I can't be without my wife. And they said no. So here we are, two weeks before leaving, moved out of our apartment, sleeping on our family member's floor, saying, Lord, what are you doing? I thought you called us to this. Why is there this potential reality in which I'd be separated from my wife? What are you doing? And that was like one of the most two painful weeks of my life, guys. Like, I didn't understand a thing. I thought you'd call this into this. But now, like, there's no visas. There's no money. How are we going to do this? What's going on? But we trusted. We trusted in the midst of pain. We trusted that God was good, that his plan was good. And so we got on the plane. Long story short, I spent the next year working for a church in London called Inspire London directing the music. And I learned and grew so much through that year. Had I been working at Apple, I would have never had that. God knows what he's doing. God had to correct our crooked stride where we were operating out of a desire of selfish security and clear operating plans. The Father knows. The Father cares. The Father has a better grip on your life than you do. Look at Hebrews 12 through 15. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight the paths of your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but may be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Have you heard the Spirit lately? More importantly, have you responded to him? Maybe tonight he's stirring in your heart. Take that. Run with it. Run to Jesus. Run with a friend to that. It does you no good to push it further down into your soul. I love that line. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. God has lavished grace on us. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you are forgiven? The natural flow from that will be a deep freedom to lay out sin, to bring it into the light and out of darkness and ask God to remove it. Jesus is our focus in the race. And to run it well means to run with endurance, which means shedding sin and weight so that we can see more clearly the beauty of Jesus and the Father. Running with endurance means shedding sin and weight so that we can see more clearly the beauty of Jesus and the Father. So as we have seen, Jesus is the focal point, the starting line of this race. And to run it well means to shed sin and weight so that we can see more clearly the beauty of Jesus. 
But why are we running? Where are we going? What's the point of this whole thing? I thought you were talking about meaning and purpose. Well, hold on. We'll get there. Point three, um, face Zion. Read with me 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches this mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to an immeasurable angel and festival gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and the spirit of righteousness made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Previously, all those people we talked about last week had not seen Jesus. They had God, but he dwelled in sacred places. Most notable, Mount Zion. And it was rightly depicted as the mountain you could not touch. It was untouchable. To have a relationship with God was a much more complicated thing. But that is the mountain we have passed. That is the mountain in the rearview mirror. We're at a new mountain brought to us by Jesus. Currently, we are at Mount Zion. We are at the heavenly city, the dwelling place of God. People, do you see that? We are at the dwelling place of God. We reside with God. That is where we are. Jesus in the gospel often talks about a kingdom that will come. And here we see that that kingdom has come. And that is where we are. That is the finish line. We are currently experiencing the kingdom of God. But we're also not. It's actually kind of confusing. So look at this with me. I'll try to explain it. Let me break it down. So we are, um, in my mind, I came up with this great term. We are children of the in-between. Right? So we exist in this part of history in which God has come. Death is beaten. But we do not actually yet see the physical kingdom of God. We are children of the in-between. But still, we are part of the kingdom of God, right? Right now, we are part of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of heaven. We are children of God. And this passage gives us an inventory of everything we have approached to the work of Christ. We've come to a new city, angels gathering, a spiritual family. We've come to God himself, the judge of all. We've come to the spirit of righteousness. We've come to Jesus, the mediator of this whole thing. The finish line is indeed the starting line. The finish line is the starting line. The greatest thing God could give us was himself. All beauty, all truth, all meaning are found in him. The race we are running starts with Jesus and it ends with him as well. Friends, this this is the only lasting thing. Look at Hebrews 25 through 27. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. 
that is things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Everything that was made will be gone. The world is finite. Trees, cars, candy, fossil fuels, all of it will be gone. It's all finite. They can all be removed, destroyed, or damaged. They're all rubbish when compared to the treasure of Jesus. In Matthew, Jesus tells the parable of a man who sold everything to buy a field, right? And the world thought he was crazy. Why are you selling all these things to buy an empty field? But he knew that there was treasure in it. He knew that there was just this massive wealth underneath it. And it wasn't black gold, and it wasn't candy, and it wasn't trees. Here we see exactly what that treasure is. It's God himself. It's his people, the church. It's Jesus Christ. That's it. But that's all we need. Think about it. Let's say you pass college. By the grace of God, you pass college. And then you get that job building bridges, right? And then you make some money, you buy a ring, um, you have some kids who have some kids and then die. Right? Like, what life is that? Or conversely, let's say you drop out of college, right? Travel a bit, see all seven wonders of the world, meet a person, don't have kids, adopt late in life, and then die. Like, what life is that without Christ? Or maybe you start a business selling Snuggies. And it takes off, and soon you're a Fortune 500 company owner. You have your picture on the front of a magazine, and one day you even become the CEO of Snuggie itself, right? You're known as the billion-dollar person. And then, in an ironic turn of events, you fall into a bat of Snuggie batter and die, (laughs) right? Like, what life is that? Or maybe you're perfectly content to just work. Right? Like, not climb any ladder, not break any glass ceiling. Just work and sleep and get along and die. What life is that apart from Christ? Now, don't get me wrong. Like, these are good lives. Like, most people would say that all of these can be full and noble lives. But what meaning do they have? Without our eyes fixed on Jesus, we're just doing things, redefining ourselves by things that are not eternal. Without Jesus, we're just redefining our things by things that are not eternal. If at the end of your life, someone were to ask you, why did you do that? Like, why did you do it? And the only answer you can come up with, it was the next logical step, or it was something to do, or I had nothing else to do. My friends, you've wasted your life. Wasted. The life of a Christian is a life lived out of the work of Christ for the glory of God, the only unshakable thing. We might not know where it's going, but we know who it's with, and that's enough. We might not know where it's going, but we know who it's with. I'm not saying to drop out of college. I'm not telling you to stay in college either. I'm asking you, Is what you're doing for the glory of God. Only then will you be satisfied with infinite joy. As you realize your entire life is secure by the person of Jesus and his work for us. Friends, we have joy set before us. The kingdom of God is here. We have come to it through the work of Christ. We can't waste our lives just doing things. There is purpose. There is meaning. And I believe that all of this is found in Christ and is finished by Christ.
Listen to this quote by my boy, C.S. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Friends, that is us in our natural bent. Some of us have trusted in Jesus, but we haven't experienced the joy set before us. Myself included, we haven't. We're still trying to run a race marked out by doing things instead of believing in what has already been done. We're trying to define our value by our usefulness. What race are you running? Where are you going? Do you not see the mountain of God's glory right next to you? Jesus is the focal place of this or the focal point of this race. He's brought us to Mount Zion where we can be in relationship with God. He's empowered us through the Holy Spirit to run with endurance. As it says in Hebrews, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Maybe you don't know Christ. Tonight Christ is calling you. See to it that you don't refuse him who is speaking. Maybe you've known Christ for a little while. See to it that you don't refuse the spirit who is speaking, calling you to lay off sin, calling you to lay off weight. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while. See to it that you don't refuse him who is speaking. There is meaning to the race you are running. Keep your eyes fixed. Shed sin. Remember where you are. Remember whose you are. Remember whose life you are living in. Run for the joy set before you. To run this race, we have but three things that we can ever do. We look to Jesus. We run with endurance. We face Zion and repeat. We look to Jesus, we run with endurance, and we face Mount Zion. I wanted to conclude tonight by reading a short passage from a book, additionally by my boy C.S. In the book, he's telling a story of a ghost who lives in a town called Greytown, hell essentially, and a spirit who is calling him up to the mountain, heaven. And this is kind of the dialogue. Spirit from heaven says this, Will you come to the mountain with me? It will hurt at first until your feet are hardened. Reality is harsh to the feet of shadows, but will you come? And the ghost from Greytown says this, Well, that is a plan, and I'm perfectly ready to consider it. Of course, I should require some assurances. I want a guarantee that you are taking me to a place where I shall find a wider sphere of usefulness. A scope for the talents God has given me. And an atmosphere of free inquiry. In short, all that one means by a civilization and or the spiritual life. And I love the response of the spirit from heaven. He says this. No. I can promise you none of these things. No sphere of usefulness. You are not needed there. No scope for your talents. Only forgiveness for having perverted them. No atmosphere of inquiry. For I will bring you to a land, not of questions, but of answers. 
and you shall see the face of God. The course set before us is not easy. In fact, it's impossible, literally impossible. How's a dead man going to raise himself to life? How's a blind man going to cause himself to see? He can't, not of his own strength. But we hope in Christ, not in our usefulness or ability to make plans, but in God and his ability to hold on to us with his loving grip. There's no way to climb Mount Zion, but the good news is it's not up to us. It's already been done. God has come down the mountain. We can run this race by setting our eyes on Jesus and removing all barriers between him and us and realizing the reason we are running is not to get to God, but to get more of God. I thought that was pretty clever, but see to see more clearly the beauty of Jesus. The starting line is the finish line. The starting line is the finish line. And as we grow weary, as we inevitably will, we stay focused. We find strength in Christ. We fix our eyes. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And you see, Jesus' finish line was indeed our starting line. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Can I pray for us? Father, we are prone to wander. We're prone to run after many things other than you. Tonight, would you, would you shape us? Would you heal us? Would you make us open um, to your loving hand, open to your loving voice that we would hear you saying, I love you, but we got to work on some things. We got to change some things. Not because that's some way to get closer to you, because it's a way to know you more fully, to see more truly the beauty of Jesus. We're already in right relationship. But we long for you to set the world right, to put an end to sin and suffering. Whatever it takes, Lord, we want to be supple in your hands. Would you speak to us tonight? Amen.